I like Good Friday. I'm reminded, as I studied for this sermon this week, that on Thursday night, Jesus was betrayed and arrested. And then taken to the house of Caiaphas. I was there a couple of weeks ago. And I saw the place where Jesus was probably kept overnight after he had been beaten. And what it looked like was there was a hole in the roof of a dugout place below Caiaphas's house where Jesus was probably kept overnight, tied and lowered in the ground. And I thought about how dark and how gloomy that was and it gave me a different picture of how he had been held and beaten and abused. And throughout that morning he'd went to Pilate's house and then Herod's house and and to the Sanhedrin. He had been beaten. He, he had been rejected by those in the crowd because they chose Barabbas. Pilate did the expedient political thing and had him beaten and taken away to be crucified. Jesus was in, in such a weakened state that Simon of Cyrene had to help him carry the cross to Golgotha where he was crucified and died. And about 3 p.m., On that Friday afternoon, Jesus said, it is finished. And he had given his spirit unto the Lord and died. He was buried by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. In fact, they went before Pilate and they were surprised that he was dead. Remember? And so his disciples watched him. Well, actually, John and and the Marys watched him buried and then the ladies bought spices because the guys probably didn't bury him right as they watched because of their devotion to a dead religious leader rabbi. And so how gloomy and how dark, how much grief must they have felt the emotional roller coaster that they'd experienced that week, beginning with Palm Sunday and jubilation and celebration and ending on that Friday afternoon and that Saturday and that he was dead. And that's what they knew. That's what they had saw. That's what they experienced. And we have to know that to understand how awesome Easter is. We have to understand the price of sin and death caused our Savior to be crucified on that Friday. But that makes that Sunday morning that much more glorious. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28 verses 1 through 6, Matthew writes it this way. He was there. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, Come see the place where he lay. This morning, you have come together to celebrate a risen Savior. You have come to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. And if you're joining us online, it's just not the same as being here, but we're glad you're here to celebrate. And what we have to actually think about and realize that Jesus appeared post-resurrection at least 10 times. Some people say 13, some say 50 times. It it's, depends how you read it and count it, but a lot of times enough that they saw and they believed. And one of those times, it, it wasn't the ascension. A lot of times we get this time Confused where he gave the great commission and we are a great commission church. If you look in Matthew chapter 28 verses 16 through 20 that well following along and Jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven on earth it has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, now we are a great commission church. Jesus on that mountain in Galilee told them to make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then to teach them to observe everything that he had commanded them. We are still under his commands. If he, we call him Lord, we call him King and Savior of our lives. The leader, the greatest leader, leader that ever lived. And so when we say guiding people home every Sunday, we're saying the Great Commission. We are aligning ourselves with what Jesus commissioned us to do. But there's a couple overlooked verses right before that that a lot of times we don't talk about. We kind of skip. But look at verses 16 and 17 of Matthew 28. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Well, that makes sense. But this doesn't. And, or, or, or but some doubted. Now, what I love about the New Testament, it's a primary source. It is raw. It is real. It, it, it tells the truth all the time. Now, if I'd been writing that, I would have skipped and some doubted. But Matthew didn't. And a lot of people say, well, those are new followers of Jesus. I don't think so. This was still something that they had seen, they had experienced, they had seen over and over again, and yet it was unbelievably believable. Does that make sense? Can you be full of faith and still have doubts? 
For some of you, there's questions that you can't answer. Maybe in scripture, maybe in your understanding. For some of you, there may be situations that seem unfair. About a week ago in Sullivan, there was a tornado hit and about 200 houses were affected. I was talking to some people who live right within 1,500 yards of the devastation. Over 100 were completely destroyed. About half of them had insurance, about the other half didn't. Most likely, very few of those houses will be rebuilt because the insurance money isn't going to be enough to cover the loss of their homes. And for those that weren't insured, how are they going to do it? That doesn't seem fair. But we see innocent people suffer. Today, one of our members walked in and said, hey, you got out of Israel just in time. There was a a tour group that, that six people were killed because they ran a car into them. That doesn't seem fair. Here you are on the Holy Land trip and you get killed because you just happen to be randomly there. How does that make sense? Well, we live in a sinful, fallen world. That's why Jesus had to die. But also... Maybe there's some hurt you can't resolve. I know a lot of people that, that were raised in faith, but things happened. Families dissolved. People died. And those hurts are still being carried by them, and they can't reconcile them with their faith. And so they have serious doubts. And I just believe that God's going to touch in some way someday by some others or through his Spirit. You see, your doubts handled properly can be a catalyst to a stronger faith. Or not. But you've got to understand something about this journey that we are on. That, that it is a faith journey and it's not a destination. There are going to be challenges in our lives. There are going to be questions and there's going to be doubts. And and here's the deal. The church should be the safest place to ask the hardest questions. This is where you need to ask the questions. Now, as a young person, I wrestled with some doubts. Now, my doubts then aren't the same doubts that I have today. The same concerns aren't the same. But doubt doesn't mean a lack of faith. So you got to ask, you know, so what's the difference between faith and belief? What's the difference? You see, faith involves a reliance and trust, and it endures in the face of doubts. That's what faith does. Whereas belief is simply something we take to be true. Now, Folks, throughout my years in ministry, and they've been a while, it's been 40 years, I've known some ministers who, who actually didn't believe the gospel, that didn't believe in the resurrection, did not believe in the miracles of Jesus. But they believed, but they didn't have faith. Does that make sense? And I've also known followers that proclaim a belief or right belief, but didn't have faith. Do you know who, who first believed Jesus was the Son of God? And this is a trick question. 
Do you know who? It was the demons. James 2.19. You believe that God is one, you do well. This is what James says. Even the demons believe and shudder. Because it's not faith, because they know that they know who Jesus is and who God is. It's a spiritual reality. You see, it's, it's possible to have good theology and to not have faith. You believe all the right things and still not have faith. What does Paul say in Ephesians 2, 8, 9? He says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It doesn't say, For by grace you have been saved through right beliefs. Now I believe doctrine is important. But we're saved by faith. And this is not your own doing. Notice, this is not something we have done. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. See, we're not saved by what we do. We're saved by faith. And the strongest faith isn't a faith that never doubts. I just want to encourage you in that sense. Because some of you have real doubts. In fact, Barna did, a, did some research and over 50% of Christians have some doubt. And I say, that's great. That's okay because the, the strongest faith is a faith that grows through your doubts. I like the New Testament. I believe that the Bible is God's holy word. It is inspired. It is inerrant. We can bank our lives and our eternity on it. John writes as an eyewitness at the foot of the cross. In John chapter 20 verses 24 and 25, he talks about one of the other disciples. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Well, the other disciples were saying, we've seen the Lord. Now, in the Greek, this is an active participle and verb. And, and it's an active voice. And what Thomas was hearing is, we've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. And it changed them. But I like, I like that Matthew included Thomas in his telling of the resurrection story. Because who would write in a skeptic, a realist, a practical person, a thinking person into this gospel? No one who was writing propaganda or a bogus or false account would put him there. Oswald Chambers, the, the writer of the, his utmost for, for his highest, he says this. He says, doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It may be a sign that he is thinking. John, in another account, writes about Thomas in John 11, verses 14 through 16. He says this. He says, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus was dead. Well, if you remember in that account, Jesus waited. He knew that Lazarus was sick and that Lazarus was going to die. And he waited until Lazarus had died. And then he said, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. 
And what does Thomas say? So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, this is the realist. This is the practical guy. This is the guy that knew the cultural context and the political situation that people wanted to kill Jesus in Bethany, in Jerusalem. And yet, Thomas was willing to go. I think Thomas was a little sarcastic, and I kind of like that about him. Oh, yeah, Lord, that's a great idea. I'm following you anyway. And then maybe you're familiar with this passage in John 14, and you've probably heard it at funeral sermons many times. It says, let your, not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house were many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And who, who, who interjects in this moment? Now, some of you have a problem with kind of following the message. And, and sometimes you have ADHD like me. And Thomas was a little lost with what Jesus was saying here. And Thomas just said, Lord, you know, I'm not getting it. We don't know where you are going and how can we know the way? You've probably heard this before, but Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was just saying, Thomas, follow me. So how did Jesus respond to Thomas's doubts? You know what he does? He shows up eight days later just for him. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, and I believe that he just locked eyes, and, and, and he said, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. He looked dead in his eyes. And then he said, Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. He had seen. You see, Jesus came to Thomas when he was doubting and gave him what he needed. And Thomas went from doubting to shouting in a heartbeat because he had seen. I believe God is not distant in your doubts. He's right there up close and personal with you, even if you don't feel him. You see, the greatest doubters often become the strongest believers. But, but, but we're at war, and we always will be, as long as we're in this body and as long as we're breathing, because the devil tries to use doubt to drive you away from God. But God can use doubt to draw you to him. It's your choice. Where are you going to place your faith? Can he take your doubt and make you shout because you have experienced the risen Lord?
Jesus today would still say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Follow me. And I would challenge you today to come to Jesus with your questions, with your doubts, with your hurts, and your pain. Because he is our Savior and our Lord. He is risen. Amen. Will you please stand as I pray? Eternal God and Father, again, we come to you and we just give you all the praise and all the glory. And Father, I pray that like Thomas, that we would come to Jesus. That Father, as we experience doubt and trial and temptation in our lives, as we experience hurts that aren't deserved, and, and a brokenness that comes with human frailty. That, Father, that we will place our faith and trust in you and in you alone. And in you, we find our help and our hope. Help us to come to Jesus. Because only through your spirit, only through your grace, can we come and do that. And, Father, I pray for those that don't know you as Lord and Savior. I pray for those that that are having doubt and are in struggle, that your presence would be real through your spirit and through your people. And we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.